Welcome to Snescapades, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo Library, three games at a time. Usually, we play them briefly, we judge them harshly, and we rank them, and that is pretty much all you need to know. I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero. And this is episode 46, I think, of, of the main series, anyway. I, I believe so, yeah. We have some other specials and whatnot. We just got off of two of those. We did a special with the Grand Rapidians to wrap up 92, and then we did our first Nintendo Power special, which I had a blast doing, by the way. So did I. I thought it was great, and I'm really excited to do more of those every month. I didn't actually mean every month of, like, time that you guys out there are listening to the podcast. Uh, I meant every time we start a new month of the year. I'm super excited that we're going to get to do one pretty soon because there aren't that many games in January 93 to talk about. Start of a new year, start of a whole new world of games. Hopefully they're good. You always want the games to be good. I don't know if we've got great games here today. They're interesting, I guess. That that oh, that's such a cop out to say they're interesting. I <laughs> I hate that. I need to stop saying that. <laughs> of course they're interesting. Yeah. Everything's interesting when you don't have a more interesting adjective to use to describe them. Anyway, today we are going to be talking about California Games 2, which is not a fun game, but has some very important video game related history behind it that we will talk about. And then we've got Power Moves, which is a fighting game. It sure is. These are the games we will be talking about today. So buckle up, folks. Uh, we're going to California. Yeah, California. Just like the, the kid from The Wizard when, when asked where, where he's going. All right, everybody. Well, uh, put on your sunscreen or just... Actually, if you're in California, just stay the hell inside. Yeah. Because everything on the West Coast is on fire right now as we record this. Yeah. Don't go outside. Keep your windows shut. Stay safe, everyone. So, California Games 2. This game comes to us courtesy of Epics. And there is an epic story behind this company. Ho, ho, ho! Epics was founded in Mountain View, California, formed by computer programmer Jim Connolly, who had just purchased a Commodore PET in 1977. According to an article from TheDotEaters.com, Connolly's primary motivation for making a computer game was due to the fact that he wanted a reason to write off the pricey computer on his taxes. Just for reference, the pet, which first released in 1977, released at the introductory price of $795. That is over $3,000 today when adjusted for inflation. But Connolly was not alone. He enlisted the help of his friend, John Freeman, who happened to be a game designer, not a computer game designer yet. Well, I mean, who, who was a computer game designer in the late 70s, though? Not very many people. The pair actually met through a and d group, in fact. So they were very much into tabletop role-playing games. They formed the company Automated Simulations and released their first game for the pet called Starfleet Orion in 1978 with ports to other computers like the Apple II to follow. The game is a sci-fi war game in which two players take command of opposing fleets to battle each other. It's regarded as one of the first computer games of its kind. Automated Simulations made a sequel the following year that had one big feature over its predecessor, AI, meaning that one player could take on the game itself instead of requiring a second player to be their opponent. In 1979, the pair uh, started digging deeper into their love of D&D &D and tabletop RPGs, 
to create the first three games of the Dungeon Quest series, which is spelled with a J because copyright, I guess? Sure. The games allowed players to create characters and explore rooms represented in a simple graphical style, making it the first graphical RPG ever made. The game also included a book of lore, which is what I think they actually called it. (laughs) This included descriptions and illustrations to supplement the game, as well as instructions on how D&D groups might integrate the games into their own campaigns. The first game in the series, Temple of Apshai, was so popular that it remained one of the best-selling computer games until 1982. Freeman would meet his future wife, Anne Westfall, in a trade show in 1980. Westfall would join him at Automated Simulations, but by 1983, Freeman and Westfall would both leave to form their own development company called, of course... Freefall Associates. I love it. I love it. Yeah, you know, what's funny is I actually wrote a joke about that in my script before I realized that, oh, wait, that was the actual name of the company. Okay, you, you, you beat me to it by a few decades. Freefall Associates would create the Archon series, among others, throughout the 80s. The company changed hands around this time, and along with the change in name to Epics, there was a change in focus as the company started making more arcade-like action titles, such as Jumpman, at the expense of the strategic war games that had put the company on the map. Later in 1983, dissatisfied with these changes, Connolly would leave the company as well. But despite the departure of their founders, Epix wasn't finished making historical contributions to video games. In 1985, for instance, they released Rogue, a turn-based dungeon crawler in which levels would be randomly generated, so no one playthrough was likely ever to be the same as another. The term roguelike, indicating randomly or procedurally generated levels, is a term that is still in heavy use in the industry to this day. You know, it took a while for that one to become an incredibly influential game, I feel like. But yeah, man, once it did, that is truly probably one of the most influential games of all time there. Sadly, by the end of the 80s, despite their early success and successfully fighting off a copyright infringement suit brought by Data East over their game World Karate Championship... The systems on which Epic released their most popular games, like the Commodore 64, were on the wane, and Epic's was unwilling to play ball with Nintendo due to their strict rules and licensing policies, which forced third-party developers and publishers to assume most of the risk. Now, I'm cobbling this history together from various sources at this point, like the aforementioned Dot Eaters article and also a video Jeremy Parrish, aka Big Papa Parrish, did on the subject some time ago. So I'm speculating a little bit here, but I would assume that these factors might be what prompted Epics to make a play into the hardware market themselves. Back in 1986, they had started development on a portable system, which they called the Handy. The system was to be a full-color, portable video game system. Keep in mind, Nintendo's Game Boy didn't hit American shelves until 1989, so this was a pretty big leap in handheld console technology. Unfortunately, Epix was unable to continue production on the system, as they lacked the means to bring such a system to market. They entered into a deal with Atari to bring the system to life, and in 1989, the Atari Lynx was released. By this point, Epix was in dire straits. It was mostly by selling off assets, including selling the entire Lynx project to Atari after filing for Chapter 11 in 1989 that the company managed to keep from completely shuttering. Epix would develop games almost exclusively for the Lynx for a while, but by the end of 89, there was just very little left of the company. The company sputtered along for a few more years, and by 1993, the remaining eight employees sold off the rest of the company to Bridgestone Media Group. 
I don't know much about Bridgestone Media Group or who they are, as the only game I can find linked to them on Moby Games and Giant Bomb is something called Captain Bible in the Dome of Darkness. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. One of those great Christian software publishers. What's great is that I'm having real trouble in my mind separating Bridgestone from Firestone, the the tire company. Yes. <laughs> so I have this weird idea now of like this company that makes tires, but is also extremely Christian and tried dabbling in the software market for a little while. It's not that, obviously, but that's the Rat King in my brain of, of all this stuff <laughs> that uh, that I've got here. So, Well, you know, Firestone wasn't interested in their Christian-themed tires, which they called Holy Rollers, so... Uh... <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. And that brings us to uh, California Games 2, which obviously came out on the Super Nintendo well after Bix had filed for Chapter 11. So this was in the the very, very lean times for Epics when they were kind of barely holding on. I'm going to guess that the um, publisher, DTMC, did a lot of the heavy lifting on this one, bringing it to the Super NES. And uh, since I went into so much uh, history about Epics, I'm not going to talk about DTMC today, but we will be talking about them a little bit more because I believe they also published Ranma One Half, which uh, is coming up, I think, much later in 1993, but we will get to it eventually. So I guess let's talk about California Games 2. It is a minigame collection. It is a, a series of California-themed outdoor sports events. You've got hang gliding, you've got skateboarding, bodyboarding, uh, downhill skiing. They're all pretty simple. Basically, when you start playing the game, you put in uh, a name for really kind of just you. It's not really related to the character you see doing the sport because who you're actually controlling changes from game to game. And in the single player mode, you're kind of just scored against the, the leaderboard. There's also a multiplayer version of this where you can compete with other people. The games are all, like I said, very simple. There is one that is a uh, jet ski game that is is heavily dependent on mode seven where you go around a kind of like f-zero-ish track but you're not really kind of bound to the track you can go outside of the things that mark the lanes i don't have a lot to say about any of these individually presentation is sort of bright and colorful the mechanics for all of these games are are both extremely simple and sometimes weirdly obscure. Like, I, I still don't really get why the, the jet ski minigame is timed, but you don't get to see the timer. There's a few different things I like about this, and a lot of it that just kind of washes over me, though. What do you think of this one, Steampunk Link? I think I'm with you on most of that. So a lot of these games are, like you said, very simple. Not all of them are incredibly intuitive as to what you're actually supposed to be doing. The The most guilty party there might be the hang gliding minigame, where I didn't actually realize until I read a fact about this game that ultimately you're supposed to turn back around and land safely on the beach. It isn't just about going for as much distance as you can. And really, um, you earn points in that game by dropping water balloons onto targets, which is not really what I would think of as the point to hang gliding. 
Yeah, I could not figure that game out at all. It was completely unclear to me. I knew you could drop water balloons onto targets, but it's also not that easy to see the targets because you have a lot of vertical movement space that can take you away from the ground where the targets are. And then eventually I would just crash into the ocean and and not receive any any points for it. It's It's not in any way clear there's a practice mode where you can just play any of the events you know as much as you want and even with that there's no instruction at all on what the point of that game actually is supposed to be another strange thing about this game is that it doesn't bring over any of the games from the original california games the original included bmx half pipe skateboarding roller skating surfing flying disc or frisbee and footbag or hacky sack now Some of those, like Hacky Sack, I can understand, like, yeah, we probably didn't need to bring that one back. But it's really weird that there isn't, like, a proper surfing game here. Like, there is a bodyboarding game, but it's not really the same. And again, it's pretty limited. It's sort of broken up into two parts, where the first part, you're in the wave and trying to do as many tricks as possible. And then in the second part, you're just avoiding hazards as you drift back to the beach. Yeah, there isn't like a proper surfing game here, which feels like it would be necessary for something called California games. I agree. It's very strange. Like, I feel like they could have, with this, just added more games to what was in the original instead of replacing them all wholesale. Or maybe replacing a few of the ones that didn't work as well. Again, like Hacky Sack, which I do remember playing in the original California games and is pretty weird and not very fun. I think that the most fun I had with this game was the skateboarding event, which unlike the first game, which is just a simple half pipe skateboarding, here you're actually going down a track where the entire track is a half pipe, and in some cases, an actual enclosed pipe where you can do... uh, entire 360 turns around or uh, flips or I don't even know what you would call it. You can skate in a like literally in a vertical circle around the circumference of the pipe. Th- that was actually kind of cool. Yeah, no, that is by far the most enjoyable game in this. It's still pretty simple, but the mechanics work. They're easy to understand. There's a decent element of of actually engaging with what the game wants you to do instead of just surviving long enough to get some points basically in this game you're sort of attached to the track and you're always moving forward so it's pretty easy to figure out what it is you're supposed to be doing just try as many tricks as you can to rack up as many points while you're going down the track without wiping out uh which is more than i can say for the jet skiing event because you're on a track. I mean, there's a clearly defined track, but you can leave it. And in fact, it's actually very, very hard to stay on the track. And I, it, at times, the track actually forks in ways that I wasn't sure if I was supposed to go no. one way or another. And eventually, it just kind of felt like it was just a free form, just use the track to do as many tricks and whatnot as you can before time runs out. But time would run out and it would always play the music to suggest that I failed, which makes me think that there is like a finish line I was supposed to go across. You know what, though? I still got the high score on that event pretty easily. I don't know. It's weird. That one really does not work. Downhill skiing is kind of a weird addition for a California games in which the focus is summertime and the beach and things like that. But that game is kind of interesting in that there are different phases. At one point, you get to a phase in which you're actually in like a a half pipe sort of situation and just doing tricks for a little while before getting off and then continuing down the mountain. But 
I never actually made it to that. I only know that that exists because I've seen a long play of this game. I I never managed to keep from falling because when you're starting out, the mountain that you're on takes up so little of the screen that you don't have a lot of room to move. And those kinds of just weird presentation choices are just all over this game, really. I mentioned before that hang gliding pretty easily allows you to be out of visual range of any of the targets you're actually supposed to hit. You know, we already talked about the jet ski game, of course. Like, it's just strange that I feel like the visual language of the game works against you immediately being able to understand how to play the various events in this, which I, I honestly feel like is is a pretty bad failure for a minigame collection, which ideally you should be able to just pick it up and play the games and, you know, just just move through them in this kind of rapid fire clip where you're, you know, having a fun time for like a couple of minutes which with each of them. This game originally came out on a lot of computer systems, and honestly, I think it looks a lot better on most of the systems than it does on the Super Nintendo. It doesn't look or sound great on the Super Nintendo, I'm gonna say. Yeah, I mean, the visuals are okay, but they're they're not as good as some of the other versions, like the DOS version, which includes a lot of other embellishments, like some much more brutal wipeouts in some of the events, including the skateboarding event, in which if you wipe out, you will be treated to a brief scene where you're at your character's funeral. That is so dark. Yeah. <laughs> that seems way too dark for this game, honestly. It's a weird tonal shift, we'll say, because it, it's even got, like, a little computer version of Chopin's funeral. Does it, does it have the, like, the, the cool California athlete guy who who comments on all your, your moves there, like crying and putting like a rose on your grave no actually so for one thing uh that guy is exclusive to the super nintendo version from what i can tell the dude who's like i caramba and gnarly you know every time you do something yeah that he must be based on somebody right yeah i think so yeah it'd be interesting to find out who that is but no so the the funeral thing it's just a static screen but you actually view everybody at the funeral as if you were lying in the grave. Yikes. Okay. <laughs> it's it's real weird. Yeah, I don't know if I've got much else to say about California games, too. Um, I don't think this is a lot of fun. You know, it, it causes me to think back to uh, similar games like this on the NES, like the original California games and uh, what was it? Uh, TNC Surf Design, I think. Yep. Yeah, that that's another one. Like, it looks better than an NES game, but it, it feels a lot like an NES game. Yeah, it kind of does. I, I would say, you know, the visuals, while again, not as good as the computer versions, are still very colorful and do a good job of putting you in that, that sort of beach mindset. And honestly, like, I think the best thing I can say about this game is that playing this made me wish I could go outside right now and just have fun in the sun. (laughs) Yeah, I feel the same way. I guess uh, we ought to rank this one. And uh, going back to the list, it's been a little while. It has, yeah. So do you have a starting point where you think we should kind of try to center this thing? So I think a good place to start might be another minigame collection. I mean, we have something like Pilot Wings, which is... it. Uh, up at 55 but i don't think this is as good as pilot wings (laughs) this is not nearly as good as pilot wings uh in any way i don't think maybe a better place to start might be nba all-star challenge at number 101 what do you say to that i think that makes sense um i would actually say i think that i like that game more than this one 
I think NBA All-Star Challenge at least has a couple of modes that have some depth to them. It, it's it's not a, a great-looking game, but I do think that presentation-wise, it's, it's kind of about equal to this. So I would go down from there, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that NBA All-Star Challenge is a more successful game at what it's trying to do than California Games 2 is. Actually, maybe a, an even better place to compare would be Bart's Nightmare at number 104, which is also yeah. a, a minigame collection of mostly broken minigames. That is a great point. Um, I think that presentation-wise, Bart's Nightmare does sort of mop the floor with this, but... I wouldn't say that most of the games in this are quite as unplayable as the worst mini games from Bart's Nightmare. Yeah, I think that the best mini game from Bart's Nightmare is that one where he's floating around his bloodstream or whatever, and that is like such a nothing game. Yeah. That yeah, I think I would put this above Bart's Nightmare. I would too. Yeah, I think that I think that makes sense. So if we go up from Bart's Nightmare, right above that we've got Wheel of Fortune, which is a perfectly functional but really bland and uninspiring version of wheel of fortune do, do you think this goes up from there so i mean I, I think we've we've really narrowed this down right we've got nba all-star challenge at 101 we know it's going below that so it's going b between that and bart's nightmare at 104 between those we have chester cheetah too cool to fool at 102 and wheel of fortune at 103 I think this should go between Chester Cheetah and Wheel of Fortune. I think this is a better game than Wheel of Fortune, but I don't think it quite it matches the style of Chester Cheetah. I think it's it's almost a similar aesthetic in a way, right? You know, it's yeah, that sort it of '90s almost, cool yeah. kind of thing. But I think um, Chester Cheetah might actually be a better game than this. I am in complete agreement with you. I that is exactly where I would put it. Okay, so it sounds like this could be our new number 103. Yes, California Games 2, our new number 103, a game that is slightly better than some of its uh, some of the things you can compare it to, but still not really very good or very much of anything. <laughs> I would rather watch California Dreams than play California Games 2 again. That's that's how I feel about this. It's pretty rough. It's pretty rough. Although that California Dreams theme song would have been a good theme song for this game. Yeah, that's that's definitely above the budget level that uh, that this game had, I think. Surf dudes with attitudes, kind of groovy, back anyway, folks, um, I know that we, we just had our Playing With Power episode last time. Did you know that we're going to be playing with more power today? That's right. Hope you've got the moves, folks, because uh, you're going to need to use them. It's power moves. And Power Moves comes to us via publisher Kaneko USA and developer System Vision. And this is the same pair that brought us Chester Cheetah Too Cool to Fool. So I'm not going to spend much time on history today for this one, because uh, just go back and listen to that episode. I'm pretty sure we talked about some cool stuff there. Oh, uh, we talked about the Fido Dido game. We did. We talked about the Fido Dido game. I think we talked a little bit about Socks the Cat, Rocks the Hill. <laughs> That's right. We did. Yeah, the rich history of Kaneko uh usa was was unfolded in that episode but uh yes yeah here here we have power moves and power moves the name power moves is only applied to the super nintendo version of this game this game has some other names elsewhere yes in japan it was called power athlete and on the genesis 
It was called Deadly Moves. It's interesting. The material of the game, the content, is pretty much identical across both of those, uh, the Super Nintendo and the Genesis versions. But the box art for the Genesis version which features pretty much the same art as this one, it's a lot bloodier. The explosion of fluid coming off of the guy's face in that version is red. It's blood. And for the Super Nintendo version, they have uh, they've done the, the, old, the old Super Nintendo switcheroo. They've changed the blood so that it's transparent, so that it looks like sweat. Uh, keeping it nice and family friendly for the kiddos on uh, on the Super Nintendo here, right? Yeah, but other than that, I don't think these games are that much different. I uh, I have not dug too much into deadly moves on the Genesis, but I don't think there's like a blood code or anything in that game. No, I don't. I, I don't think so. I, this game is very much is a fighting game, very much in the Street Fighter Two mold, which means there's not really anything gory about it. This is a a cartoon ish anime looking fighting game. You just mentioned Street Fighter Two, which is apropos. This is the time when people were really, as I've said before, chasing that Street Fighter Two money, and. This one is pretty blatant in a lot of ways. I mean, when I say that something is a Street Fighter 2 clone, I don't just mean it's another fighting game, you know, in the way that, like, a lot of people would have called first-person shooters Doom clones back when they first started getting popular. But the tropes that you see in the characters are very similar to the tropes that you see in Street Fighter 2 characters. You've got your Ryu character, who's, you know, your, your every man karate guy who you actually are forced to play as in the in the one player mode in this game uh almost harkening back to street fighter one in that in that sense i mean literally we're talking about a karate guy with black hair and a white gi who does hadoukens so we've got that we've got you know your one token woman in the cast we've got your big burly russian guy who uses mostly wrestling moves you've got your weird south american character who uses rolling attacks, who kind of resembles some sort of weird beast man. He's actually even more bestial than Blanca. He's like got like a weird pig nose and he's really hunched over. Like he's he looks more like a fantasy monster than anything that is like recognizably human, which is pretty uncomfortable, not gonna lie. Yeah, I feel like Street Fighter 2 almost dodged that bullet somewhat just by saying like, oh no, it was a guy who got lost in the jungle as a child and became this beast man as a result instead of like, right, yeah. oh yeah, those South American primitive cultures are weird, huh? They're basically like monster people. Yeah, yeah. You know, is... which is kind of what it feels like here, which makes it real... Ugh. That ain't great. Probably my favorite character design in this is the Japanese kabuki-looking guy. That is one where I genuinely think that, uh, you know, there's a little bit of originality here. He he hits you with his hair. But one thing you do have in Street Fighter is your uh, your Spanish character who's sort of flamboyant. And uh, in, in this case, we have Nick who fights by breakdancing. So this game is pretty shallow. All the characters have two special moves each. They are all performed by doing something with the D-pad and pressing both punch and kick at the same time. This is a three-button fighter, and one of those buttons is a jump button because all of the arenas have 
a slight depth of field to them. Really, only two planes, I think. Yeah. So uh, you can't just press up to jump because that's actually just going to take you to the slightly higher plane. You can use the two planes to avoid projectiles from your opponent, but I don't know if it really adds all that much to the proceedings or feels all that necessary. The thing is, you also have a block button in this that blocks all damage, as far as I can tell. I don't think you even get chip damage when you're blocking. Yeah, there is uh, no chip damage in this game. I don't really see what the second plane of action is adding to this at all. Like, it it feels like something that they just did to make the game a little bit less like Street Fighter, but it also feels like they didn't really have any cool ideas for, like, new stuff you could use that for. Also, the special moves, like, there doesn't feel like there's a good cohesive philosophy behind any of these characters in the way there are in, say, Street Fighter 2, or even something like Ron the One Half Hard Battle, which I did talk about on a semi-recent episode of Play Comics. Go check out Play Comics podcast if you haven't listened to that, um, where we talked about Ron the One Half Hard Battle. And, you know, it, playing that, I sort of saw that, yeah, they were trying to create characters who have different strengths and weaknesses. Like, you know, we'll talk about it more when we get into that game, but uh, there are characters who are meant to be more close-in fighters who hit harder but don't have any projectiles. But they do have, you know, like, moves that help them clear distance quickly. So if you do have an opponent who's trying to keep away from you, you know, you can use this move to sort of um, take advantage of, you know, their, their ability to hit harder when they're close in. These characters don't feel like they have anything like that. Like, uh, you know, again, going back to the weird Blanca analog in this game, he has a rolling attack, but he also has a projectile attack. You know, like, Blanca doesn't have a projectile attack for a reason. His whole deal is that he's meant to get in close and do a lot of damage by, you know, like, doing grabs where he'll, you know, bite his opponent's head over and over again, uses electricity close in to do a lot of damage, and then when he's further away or if an opponent is trying to keep him further away so that he can't do that damage, he can get in quickly using his rolling attack. Yeah, this definitely, to me, feels like a game where... The people involved in it wanted to make a fighting game very much in the mold of Street Fighter 2, but they didn't really have a clear grasp on why that game works as well as it does. Exactly. Yeah, I, I don't think they, they quite got it. They did add some things that Street Fighter 2 doesn't have that I think are really interesting and actually kind of fun. I, I think that they make the one-player mode much more fun than it would be being confined to one character as you are in this game. When you start out, you have uh, different stats for your character. I, I think Joe is his name, right? Yeah, Joe. So anytime you defeat an opponent, and you can actually select your opponents, you will get stat boosts. And typically these stat boosts are based on what your opponent's stats were. So for example, if you had a, an opponent that did a lot more damage than you, your damage stat will go up. Uh, even your health meter is one stat that will adjust. You'll only start with about half health when you first start fighting, but then as you beat more characters, your health bar will actually start to increase. So you'll start with more health on each subsequent fight. I think it's a neat idea. I think that is a cool idea. And yeah, like you said, in the single player mode, it's it's weird. It's sort of the opposite of the way those usually work, where you select a character and then the the game gives you sort of like a rolling list of other characters you have to fight in order. This one, you know, you're always Joe. So you get to select which, which character you fight and you get to see what their stats are below their portrait before you fight them. So yeah, there's different ways you could approach this. Uh, I guess... 
pretty much depending on kind of how you want to play the game. The guy who I think is sort of supposed to be the first opponent, sort of like this game's like Glass Joe or whatever, is uh, is this guy named Warren, who uh, <laughs> has the, the funniest portrait. Like, it's so good. He looks like such a sad sack. He looks like a guy who just got done saying, <laughs> don't talk to me or my son ever again. Grr. Yeah, he does. He does. Deadly moves. More like dadly moves. Am I right? Oh, that's good. That's real good. But he doesn't have very much health and kind of middling stats, so he's kind of a good first opponent, but you don't have to fight him first off. You could go instead for the Russian guy, who has a lot of health, but not very much defense. So um, it's a neat idea, and it does add a bit of something. I think that, especially given that you can only control the one character in the single-player mode it was sort of almost necessary for them to do something different to kind of spice this up. So I appreciate that. I just wish it was all in support of a, a game that was more interesting and coherent to play. other things to note about this game is that there's some interesting stuff going on with the backgrounds like there's a little bit of sort of depth of field where if you go to one side or another like the the background will almost seem to to tilt in some ways but the backgrounds are typically so barren that it's kind of hard to tell i do appreciate that the backgrounds pretty much all contain some element of animation that looks nice like several of them you're on kind of like an like elevators going up over like a sort of city skyline the one for the the final opponent actually the the reigning champion i think is actually really nice looking like you're in a boxing arena and there's this big kind of animated crowd cheering and and hollering at you from the background so that stuff does look nice but yeah i um i think overall this game visually doesn't look great and i appreciate little things like the the depth of field sort of embellishment that you're talking about but yeah i agree that's not very noticeable when you're actually playing yeah i so i guess if we're going to go over to the list here i I would definitely say this should go far higher than some of the real dregs of the fighting game genre that we've seen on the system so far like pit fighter or ultraman oh yeah it's it's a lot better than those for sure but i don't know how many middling fighting games we've got at this point we don't have many fighting games in general at this point honestly we've got street fighter 2 all the way up near the top Uh, Then we've got the really bad ones all the way down at the bottom, but in the middle, not really very much. So I guess this is probably going to be one of the first. But not one of the last. So this is hard to even find a place to start with this one, because, I mean, obviously it's not going anywhere near either, like, Ultraman or Street Fighter 2. Well, okay, so so where did we put best of the best karate championship oh that's a good call where did we put that best of the best is actually way down at 121 a little bit further down than i thought it was yeah um i agree but that i I think that is still like a good game to start with in comparing this one because yeah i think that game you know obviously it was going for sort of like a a much more pseudo realistic kind of of aesthetic uh, and and gameplay than this, but it also was sort of a, a relatively bare-bones sort of just like arena karate fight game. I think this is probably a more enjoyable game than that one. I think this at least has like, you know, the fact that it's using Street Fighter 2 as the foundation means that there's a little bit more kind of mechanical complexity here. 
that I appreciate. Even though I don't I don't know that I'd say presentation-wise it looks quite as good as that game, but at least it does have different characters. It's not just the same character with different heads. You know, I'm looking at some of the games above that one, and I, I think we we should actually be looking a bit higher up on the list than we yeah. are right now. Like I would say I I would definitely play this before I'd play Captain Novelin again at 109. Oh, for sure, for sure, yeah. Um, and honestly, you know, I I think I liked this a lot better than I liked California Games 2, which we just put at number uh, 103, so... Yeah. Yeah, I would put it above that as well. What do you think is a good ceiling for this one? Maybe just one where you look at it and you're just like, oh, it's definitely not better than that. I think the the ceiling for this one is probably somewhere in the 80s. I would put the ceiling probably somewhere around Gods or Right and Trad. Okay, you know what? Let's talk about Gods, because I was just looking at that one. Yeah. I'm not sure I would put this below Gods. Okay. I mean, I, I agree Gods was really unforgiving and unfortunately pretty samey all the way through, as far as I could tell. So this game does at least, it has, I think, a little more, more of a progression to it than Gods did. So I could see that. Um, how much further up than Gods would you would you keep going with this one then? Looking at what's right above it, uh, number 80, we've got Super Bowling. I would say uh, none. It goes zero higher than that because I think I like Super Bowling better than this. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I, like I said, I was looking around gods as the ceiling, but I'm good with putting this like right above it. All right. And I think we will. So this will be our new number 81. All right. It's funny, uh, again, going back to the episode of Play Comics that I was on, the host of that show mentioned doing like a fighting game roulette with some friends of his where they would have just have like a bunch of random fighting games. And, you know, I was like, well, I hope you don't have Pit Fighter on there. This would be a good, bad fighting game for something like that, because you would still have fun with this for a couple of rounds. You know what I'm saying? I agree. And I, I think this game probably would be more fun in two player mode where you can use additional characters. Yes, very much so. On that note, we are still trying to figure out some kind of solution for playing some of those games co-op that we need to reevaluate. Yeah. Um, we're going to try again this week, but if we don't manage it, we might just arbitrarily bump some of those games up a few spots in the next episode, because I, I don't want to leave that one hanging for too long. No, I, I agree. And I do think that having replayed those games, uh, even just single player, I did find some more stuff to like about them than I did the first time, so... Uh, you know, I think they are due for a positive reappraisal, regardless of our ability to to play them co-op. Yeah, agreed. That's going to do it for our games for today. Uh, we had uh, Power Moves and California Games 2, and they are kind of on the lower side of the kind of middling part of the list right now, which uh, yeah. yeah seems appropriate. So not, not a tremendously auspicious start to 1993, but hey, it's... You know it's going to go up from here. I I, I mean, maybe. <laughs> so next time when we finish up uh, January 93, we're going to be talking about The Hunt for Red October. And we're going to be talking about Uncharted Waters, which is a Koei game. So I am nervous. What is that? Is that like Pirate Three Kingdoms or something? Like From what I can tell, yeah, it is kind of that. <laughs> okay. We'll have to dig more into it and find out for sure. All right. Well, uh, look forward to that, folks. Look forward to that. And uh, with that, I guess it's time to get a little serious for today. Do you have a thing for this one? Uh, not, not a very substantial one. I, I just want to say this. Hey, cops, 
if you actually want to do something useful right now, you could all be volunteering to go put out some of these damn fires, but you won't do that because actually helping people isn't in your job description. But hey, if you wanted to change that, go volunteer to go fight some fires. How about that? Go, go actually be useful for a change. That's really all I had for today. Did you have anything else? Or? Yeah, I had a little something. So this is a thing I've been thinking about recently. And it's a thing I really do not like seeing that I, I wish people that, that are politically aligned with us would, would kind of stop doing, which is kind of reveling in things being especially bad in deep red places as far as like the spread of coronavirus and, you know, places in the South where, where people are, are not being protected at all by their governments from the, the effects of the wider situation that's happening right now. And I, I think a lot of times it kind of ties in with this idea that all the people in those places are kind of, you know, poor, less educated. And I'm, by less educated, I mean they don't have a college degree. For one thing, being poor and less educated does not necessarily mean that someone is, does not mean they're stupid or in fact unintelligent and or that they, they necessarily support what their state and local governments are doing. Just saying, you know, oh good, I, I hope that the people there basically get what they are, are getting what they deserve for, for living in a place like that. Like a lot of people can't move out of those places and a lot of people don't support what their governments there are doing and are trying to do their best to live and survive there. Please don't, don't, you know, get on social media and celebrate bad things happening in those places. Going from that, uh, a big problem is that a lot of the people, you know, who are in power are uh, in, in states like that are largely trying to disenfranchise a lot of people yes. in those states, particularly minorities, you know, and I do want to comment really fast that, you know, in a recent episode, I had said something about that, you know, saying that, like, we need grownups to go in there to actually run those states for a minute. And I probably should have elaborated on that. The reason I said that and not that, like, we should just let those states burn is because what really needs to happen is that somebody needs to go in there with the best interests of everybody in those states in mind to help re-enfranchise them so that they can have a voice. Yeah, those states don't have to be red. They're only in, they're, they are only red because people in power are silencing the majority who are the victims of those people. Exactly, yeah. So, you know, just something to keep in mind. That's that's what I had for today. And uh, with that, I think that's going to do it for today. Uh, thank you all very much for listening. As always, uh, we will see you here back next time for the last half of January 93. And then we will be on to another Playing With Power for February 93. I can't wait. Again, I had so much fun uh, going through that old issue of Nintendo Power. I cannot wait to do it again. Same here. Uh, everybody, thank you all so much. We hope you're looking forward to all that as well. And until next time, I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Zero. Play it loud. Our intro-outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Technoaxe, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty-free at technoaxe.com. That's T-E-K-N-O-A-X-E dot com. Later in 1983, dissatisfied... <clears throat> Dang it. Mm. Later in 1983, dissatisfied... Oh my god, why can't I say the word dissatisfied today without my voice cracking? Let me try that one more time here.